Well, I, I echo um, Becky's words. I encourage you, if you haven't been reading this story of Exodus, we're only up to chapter 14, um, go home and read it because uh, even I'm not going to go word for word through the story. There's so much in this story, so much that's going on. And as I said, we've been following these Hebrew slaves and Becky and I were talking about it and uh, talking about these people going out there and, oh, they they had this and they're going, oh, no, no, they didn't have law yet because God hadn't given it to them. You know, oh, they, the, the uh, you know, tithing. No, they hadn't got that yet because God hadn't given it to them. They hadn't got this. And it made us realize that they really were just a bunch of people, <laughs> a bunch of people who who had just each other. They had the stories of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Noah, and, and Adam, and Eve, but they weren't a nation yet. And this, this today is it. This is the big story with Charlton Heston as Moses, wasn't it? A huge story. When the sea is split and Israel is born. But I want to approach the story differently today. It's easy when this is history, ancient history, and on a screen for it to be like watching a movie a long time ago in a place far, far away. But this story is still happening today. And I want to try to help us, all of us, young and old, to enter into the emotion of the story. What? would it have been like to be those people? At the heart of this story is a rescue mission, a people who had become slaves redeemed by a loving God. Such stories are still happening today. Watch the video. We live in a dark world, an often evil place where pain and loss overshadow every corner of the earth. And the only way you can get rid of darkness, I was beginning to learn, is to turn on the light. While we were in India, for instance, our old friend from Furious Love, Shanti, took us up to the tea fields of northern India to a rock quarry that is a breathtaking example of modern slavery and forced child labor. Entire families are forced to crush and haul rocks day in and day out for their entire lives. They have three weeks to fill up one of these trucks, and for their efforts, the entire family receives the equivalent of 24 U.S. dollars. And who is the biggest contractor for this human rights violation? The Indian government. Imagine that. A poor family family in India who can't read or write are approached by a rich man. Let's call him Ramesh. He gives them a simple house and a job working in his rock quarry. Just work and pay off the debt for the house. 100,000 rupee. You'll earn 10 rupee a day. To them, it sounds like a dream come true, a job and a house. But they don't have enough maths to realize it would take them 30 years to pay off the loan That's if they don't spend any of their earnings. But of course, they have to buy food and clothing and medicine. And so they work from dawn to dusk, crushing rocks and making bricks. 
And after a while, they soon realize that they're not saving any money. They have kids, and so they make their kids work in the quarry to earn more so they can somehow pay off this debt. And so the kids can never go to school. And so you have a family trapped who know nothing else. They interviewed a boy who grew up like this, who'd been um, taken to school. And he said, your world is so small. All you think about is breaking rocks and making bricks. You dream about bricks. In fact, my toys were bricks. You don't realize how trapped you are. And the families get larger because more children means more workers. And so maybe we can pay off this debt. Does that sound like the Hebrew slaves? But many of your children die because you are so poor and you can't afford medicine. There would not be a single family in those rock quarries who've not lost one or two or three children because of the meanness of Ramesh. Does that sound like the Hebrews? Royal Ramesh is what they call him because he's so rich. And this happens for generation after generation. The only thing these people have that gives them hope is their faith. But what is that worth? Thoughts and prayers seem so worthless in that world. Imagine in this story if Ramesh, for some strange reason, adopted one of the quarry kids and called him Rocky, ironically. Wouldn't you love to be that kid plucked out of this this hellhole, living in the mansion of the owner? Well, it happened. But that kid got to his 20s and got real uppity. There was a fight in the family. Legend has it that Rocky told Ramesh it was wrong to work all his relations like this. Ramesh didn't like it and, well, Rocky's gone. No one knows where he went or if he's even alive. And anyway, that was years ago now. Ramesh is long gone. His son runs the quarry now. Royal Ramesh Jr. Then one day, this guy turns up in the quarry wearing a suit. He causes one almighty stir. It's Rocky. He's back. It turns out he ran away to America and he became a lawyer. And now he's come to set us free. But Ramesh Jr. is angry and he doubles our quota. And in the village, everyone is arguing. Why couldn't Rocky just leave us alone? Life was fine. Status quo, equilibrium. Rocky has upset the apple cart and just made things worse. But some argue that this is the answer to our prayers. Well, Rocky tries to go to court. He tries to bring the police in. But Ramesh Jr. 
He owns the police and he bribes the judges. Everything Rocky tries, Ramesh has an answer for it. But it does seem like God is fighting for us. Because rains come and they fill the quarry so that we can't work anymore. And then an aid agency comes and brings us all food. The Western media hear about our story and they send camera crews. And so then there's protests in Australia and America. And the big firms, Bunnings and PGH Bricks, they tear up their contracts with the Indian government. And Ramesh is livid. He's so angry, he calls Rocky in and he screams at him, take the people, take them, they're your problem now, you deal with them. And so we pack everything we have up, we clean out our tiny little houses and we go to the quarry and we're going to move to a new place that the government has given us out of their shame. And we celebrate in that quarry one last time until late in the night. But then, when all the camera crews have gone, Ramesh and his men surround us with torches and fit pitchforks and sledgehammers. And they tell us we have a choice. Stay and work or fight. We are quarry families. We don't know how to fight. Rocky stands face to face with Ramesh. There is pushing and shoving and then a melee breaks out. In the confusion, Ramesh swings his hammer and hits one of the small children who falls down dead. When they bring light, Ramesh discovers that he has killed his own son. His own son had snuck out of his mansion and come down to the quarry to see the action. Ramesh Jr. is broken. He falls on his knees and cries out, What have I done? And then his men, they step back and they part ways and they let us walk to freedom. As we go, we celebrate. But we remember what this cost. We remember what this cost. As Westerners, we read this plague and Passover story and sometimes our modern sensibilities kick in. We sort of go, how could God be like this? How could God... Do bring death and destruction and take the firstborn son. But if we understand the story, the land, the Nile, it was crying out with the blood and the voice of the children. Justice. Justice. When you are oppressed and in slavery, A mighty warrior God makes perfect sense. That's the only God that you want, not a soft God. It's we who are rich and comfortable and enmeshed in the system who want a gentle God. 
So the question for us as we look at this story is, how are we helping? Because there's a chilling moral to this story. God has structured our world just like his nature. If we're not helping the poor and the oppressed, God might come again and turn the system upside down. He might send plagues or bushfires or drought or climate change to tip the system back in favour of the poor and the oppressed. Because that's the recurring message of Scripture. We must remember that we too were slaves and show grace in redemption for these people. We have a choice. Revolution or a revival of God's ways. Shanti has tried her best to help, giving as many kids as she can an education and a hope for a better future. But by educating one child, she deprives a family of another set of hands needed to meet their quota. When we were there, she was able to get two more children to her school, but the sea of hopelessness extends far beyond her reach. She is just one woman burning bright in a world of darkness. These rock quarries are scattered all over India, and the situation is the same or worse in all of them. The darkness is overwhelming, but through his kids, God's light continues to shine. 18 million is the estimate of how many people are in slavery just in India. I want to give you good news, though, because if you're sponsoring a child through compassion and world vision, then you are making a difference because compassion and world vision and others go into these places and they take these children and put them in schools as they try to break the cycle of oppression, as they try to empower one child so that that child can free their family. There are organizations that try and pay the debt so that the families can go free. But as we saw, it's not that simple. These people, they can't read or write. They don't have any skills that they can use. They have to be taught how to live in a different world. They have to be educated and given opportunities. And so you can't just go in there and free them from this poverty into a worse poverty. But you can see how the Israel story, when you read the story, the Israelites come out of Egypt and they've got this pillar of fire and this cloud, the pillar of fire at night and this cloud by day that's leading them. If it's not obvious God is with them, what is? And yet when the the Pharaoh and his men come, they they panic. We're going to die. We're going to die. And like, you've got a pillar of fire. But these people are like these slaves. They're so broken. They know no other way. They've been let down and betrayed by their leaders that how hard is it for them to trust? And so we can see in this story that God has to rehabilitate them in the desert. And it takes 40 years. He has to teach them what it means to be a people, retrain them, teach them how to live in a different world. 
So we've got the Kenyan school that we support as a, as a church and the trivia night. And so if you're not signed up already, you might be thinking, mate, I better sign up now. There's Destiny Rescue that, that, that rescues uh, females in the sex slave industry. Somehow, in one little way, I want to encourage you to get on God's team of redemption. And I know many of you have probably been doing that for years. So don't go away feeling like, oh man, I, this is all guilty. Just one thing, one way that you can be part of God's team of redemption. Because scripture tells us the, the consequences of inequality are not worth thinking about. That God will send plagues and Passovers to even things up. There's a tiny little thing that happens in this story that is easy to miss. And it's in Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, God says to Moses, oh, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus 12, verse 2. This month is to be for you the first month. The first month of your year. This is when God's giving Moses the commandments for the Passover in anticipation of them going out. This month is to be your first month. God was saying, start your calendar again. Reset the clock. This is your beginning. A fresh start. I don't know about you, but what an image. It brings tears to my eyes. This is it. And that line, the first month of your year. No longer would they be under Egypt's year. God was giving them their own calendar, their own clock. This was their birthday as a nation. Redemption had come. As a Western society, we've only done this once in our history. What year is it this year? 2019. It's 2019 years approximately since the birth of Christ. As a Western world, we reset the clocks when we realized who Jesus was and what he did. We reset our calendar. Jesus resets the clock for us. Have you got stuff in your life that you're not proud of? Have you got junk in your trunk? Stuff that people have done to you that you just don't want to remember anymore. Stuff that just brings you shame and regret. Maybe it's times when you've been oppressed, when you've been a victim, or maybe it's worse. Maybe you've been the oppressor. If you're genuine about it, if you say sorry and you realize what it has cost God, a firstborn son, if you repent, And repent means not just, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. It means 
you know what, if I've been hitting my wife, I'm not going to do that anymore. If I've been cheating my tax, I'm going to do things right. If I've been um, watching too much porn, I'm going to I'm going to give that up. I'm going to join AA, or I'm going to I'm going to join anger management class. If we repent, Christ offers us a new beginning, a chance to reset a clock. They say as Christians we have two birthdays, when we were born physically and when we were born again spiritually, when the old is gone and the new has come. And I want to say it's not just a one-off thing. We need to be new every morning, new every morning, because great is God's faithfulness. And the last thing I want to say is, I want us to understand that this story isn't just India. Because again, then it becomes a land far away. And while sharing some of our affluence, our blessing is good, it means that it's out there. I want to tell you that this is Redcliffe as well that this is happening in Redcliffe. There are people who need to be free in Redcliffe. A woman, a prisoner in her own home to domestic violence. Children malnourished because their parents have an ice addiction. The retiree who's home alone, lonely and isolated. As a church community, we're on this redemptive journey. We are a redemptive place. And we're seeking to build this community hub that will solidify that, that will multiply that, and that will take it to the next level. That will recognize that it's not just in India, but it's here that the redemptive love of God needs to be felt. A place for the oppressed and the broken, and the lonely, and the marginalized to be redeemed in our community. To ensure that it happens with us, and because of us, not despite us. That God wants us to be part of that redemptive journey, because one, it reminds us that we're on that journey. It grounds us in the reality that we too have been redeemed that we too were slaves. And because it means we make a difference, we stop the plagues and the the Passovers having to take again. We're building a place where people can reset their clocks. Let's pray. Lord God, it is so easy to see this story as past history, a a good movie, a great tale, but it is a story as old as time, as fresh as today, as challenging as it could be be? Where do we find ourselves in the story? 
Are we the Hebrews or are we the Egyptians? Are we helping to bring redemption? Are we stuck in our own slavery to sin and vice, needing your love, your strong hand to rescue us? Lord God, thank you that you've given us this powerful story from the past, but you're making a way for us to make it a powerful story in the present. Through plague group, through aging wisely, through giving from the heart, through our Christmas appeals, El Shaddai, Lord, so many ways that we can remember who we are. Remember what you've been for us and part the waters and make a way for others. Thank you, Lord, we pray. Amen.